0: Well, I'm uh, Pastor Jim, and happy Labor Day weekend to you. I hope you got some picnics planned today, Uh, but very glad that you're here, and if you're a guest here today checking out Calvary Church, or maybe you're here checking out Christianity itself, uh, really happy to have you here today. We're going to be wrapping up our series on the story of Jonah. So we're looking at Jonah chapter 4 today, and so let me summarize a little bit to bring us up to the fourth chapter. God called Jonah to the city of Nineveh, which would in modern day be the city of Mosul in northern Iraq. You've probably heard about Mosul in the news. Anyway, uh, God sent him there with these words in chapter 1, verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that when that Hebrew word great, the great city of Nineveh, wasn't just a reference to its size, but even more, it was a a reference, a Hebrew word that referred to the value of something, and so when God is referring to Nineveh, which was a Gentile, non-Jewish city, in fact, they were the enemies of Israel and the rest of the world at that time, the Assyrian Empire was on the rise, and Nineveh was its capital city, but God is referring to it as a city of great value, and so he's saying to to Jonah, I want you to go to this city of great value to me because its wickedness, its evil has come up before me. And that's God's way of saying that the sin is so rampant and the moral confusion is so chaotic in the city of Nineveh that it's like they're sinning in front of my face. They're throwing it up into my face. It's the new sin city on the planet, in other words. And this is the same kind of language that we come across a couple other times in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 6, before God sent the flood, says this, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, that every inclination of the human heart was toward evil all the time, and the Lord was grieved that he had even made humanity. And then uh, you jump down to Genesis chapter 18. When God looked down on the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, the scripture says that the outcry of wickedness from those two cities was so great that God's heart was grieved. And so we have here today a similar situation in the city of Nineveh, the total moral collapse of this city where God, when societies come to a place of complete moral collapse and chaos, the history we have in the Old Testament is that God draws a line in the sand, a line of judgment. He does that out of love and mercy because if he allows that kind of evil to continue, it's just going to be more self and mutual destruction of human life. And God loves people too much to let evil prevail to certain levels. He has to step in. And so God sends Jonah to the city of Nineveh because God wants to give this city an opportunity to repent and and avoid judgment. But Jonah doesn't want any part of that. He doesn't want to go preach there for that very reason, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And so we know that Jonah boarded a boat for Tarshish. Now, in the days of the flat earth, flat earth theory, that was as far west as you could go before you dropped off the end of the planet. It was 2,500 miles in fact, actually, it was three thousand miles away from Nineveh in the opposite direction. Uh, but Noah wanted, or Jonah, Jonah wanted to get as far away from these evil, disgusting people of Nineveh as he could get. In chapter two, though, God intervened. He barely got offshore. God sent a violent storm to sink, about to sink the boat. And so Jonah says, "It's all my fault." throw me overboard, and God will spare you. And that's exactly what happened. And Jonah thought he was going to die. He would rather die than go to Nineveh. But God wasn't done with Jonah. He created a very unique attitude check situation for Jonah. And he ended up in the belly of a large fish. Now, for the skepticism surrounding chapter 2's large fish story, I refer you back to Pastor Chris's message a couple weeks ago where he gives some great he did some great research on that whole the whole situation regarding the fish. But I don't want you to get hooked on the fish here, okay? This story this story is about a lot more than the great fish. And the fact and, and the lesson of the fish is this that God has a way of taking his people and putting them into situations where it's time for a heart check. God knows how to put the pressure on. And hopefully it's not going to be for you in the belly of a whale, okay? Uh, But God has other ways to do that. That's what he did here. And for three days, God gave opportunity for Jonah to examine his heart and his attitudes. And then the fish got sick of Jonah and vomited him out on dry ground, not in the direction of Spain, but back toward the direction of Nineveh. And then we come to chapter 3, and and the word of the Lord comes a second time. Jonah gets a second chance, and God says, go to the great city, this valuable city of Nineveh, and proclaim the message that that I give you. And this time it says, Jonah obeyed the Lord. Now, It seems like Jonah got it this time, but let's not jump to that conclusion too quick because Jonah went expecting that the people of Nineveh were going to get the judgment. They were going to get the fire and the brimstone that they deserved from God, but as it turned out when he went in to share God's message with the king, the king's heart softened before God. He genuinely repented, and he led the entire city, the 120,000 population of Nineveh, he led them to repent in sackcloth and ashes, a genuine repentance. And the scripture says, the last verse of chapter 3 says, God's compassion, his heart was moved upon this evil city, and God totally forgave the people of Nineveh. And this is where we pick up chapter 4. So verse number 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Now, the original Hebrew in which that's written puts this in the strongest possible language. The the words translated very wrong is the Hebrew word for evil. And so in Jonah's mind, God forgiving such horrible, despicable sinners, it seemed evil to Jonah that God would do that. How, where's God's justice? Where's God's sense of justice? Where's God's character? Where's God's sinlessness and holiness? How can God possibly forgive such a despicable population of people? He couldn't get it. He couldn't put mercy and justice together. And verse number two shows us this. It shows us that the first attitude of, of Jonah was to run away from Nineveh as far as he could get. But the second attitude, even when he went, he went to to Nineveh with a reluctant attitude. And this is what he says in verse number two. He says to God, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall. This is what I tried to prevent by fleeing to Tarshish in the first place. Because I knew that you are a gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. You are a God who relents from sending calamity. But instead of Jonah being happy that the people of Nineveh were forgiven, he says in verse number 3, Now, Lord, take my life away. It's better for me to die than to live. And so Jonah is angry with God. Where is your justice? How can you let the people of Nineveh off the hook for their sins? And verse number 4, God said this to Jonah. He asks him a question. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? that I have forgiven these people, and then God teaches Jonah a lesson, an object lesson about how mercy and justice really can work together, they don't exclude one another, verse number five, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city, he's furious, you can picture Jonah going out east of the city, he's angry at God, he sits down sulking, infuriated, and it says there he made a shelter for himself, probably out of stones and clay because wood was very scarce in, in that desert-like area. There might have been a few branches he could scrounge around to put a roof over his, his uh, lean-to, I guess you would say. It says he sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Who knows? Maybe God would change his mind and, and end up destroying it. That would have made his day. Verse 6, then the Lord God provided a leafy plant. Now, this was a large, uh, fast-growing gourd, probably what is called the castor oil plant. These plants grow very fast. They're huge, they're large, and with God's help, it grew up over Jonah to give shade to his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was really happy about that plant because it gets hot in Mesopotamia. Uh, But at dawn the next day, and God's still trying to speak to Jonah here. And The next day, God provided a worm, <laughs> which chewed the plant so that it began to wither. Verse number eight, when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. Now, looked up a little research on this. Uh, those winds were called a sirocco, and they're common to that area of the Middle East. And when one of those east winds blows into the desert there, it can almost, like throwing a switch, turn the, put the temperature up by 16 to 22 degrees, and the heat could, that day could have been up in 110, 120 degrees out there, and with a hot, dry uh, wind blowing, it sucks the moisture out of all the air, and it sucks the moisture out of your skin, so your skin tightens up. So you can see when it says he was in discomfort, he was in discomfort, and this and the and not only does it takes a toll on you emotionally, I mean. Even this 95-degree weather around here, does it make you, tend to make you a little bit grouchy? You don't have to say yes, but it never has any impact on me, right, Jill? Okay. Anyway, so, but anyway, that's what was going on with Jonah. And it says, the sun blazed down on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He got dehydrated. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. And this death wish, man, it's strong with Jonah. He repeats it four times in four chapters. In verse number nine, God said to Jonah, he answers, asks him a question, and this is the teaching moment for Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry about this plant? Is that right? And Jonah fires back at God, it is. In fact, I'm so angry, I wish I was dead, he says. There's his death wish again. Now it's, it's, it's object lesson time for this hard-headed Jonah Verse number 10. But the Lord said, you have been so concerned about this plant. You've been grieving its its destruction. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died. And so I think the reasoning, the point here is, Jonah, if you've been that concerned for the destruction of this plant, should not I, have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand. They're lost. And then here's the last three words of the book of Jonah and many animals. And then the book of Jonah, it ends. (laughs) It's done with that lesson to Jonah. What's, what's, What's the point here? Well, God is getting across to Jonah. Jonah, look, you are a prophet of Israel, and you've been a prophet of Israel faithfully for many, many years. In fact, you enjoy being a prophet inside the borders of your nation. But Jonah, I'm not just the God of the people of Israel. I'm the God of all the people of this earth. And I, my love does not just extend to my covenant people, the chosen people. My love extends equally, equally, to all the people of this earth, include, including these evil, lost, morally confused people in the city of Nineveh. And not only that, Jonah, let me remind you that I am the God of all creation, and I care about every facet of my creation. And that's why I believe God says, why, Jonah, would you want the total annihilation of this city? <laughs> Even the animals there. I care about them too. So Jonah's heart was not the heart of God here at all. What was God's attitude about Nineveh in contrast to Jonah? The Scripture says God had compassion. And so God is not only a God of inexhaustible justice, but he is also a God of inexhaustible mercy. Now, it is true that God will ultimately bring justice to sinners in the form of judgment. But God is also a God of mercy. And the Scripture says that he is not willing that any human being should ever perish In their sins, in their wickedness, but that God gives everyone, He wants to give every human being the opportunity to come to their moral senses and to repent of their sin and find His forgiveness. God wants to give every human being a second chance. That's the heart of God. So, what are some lessons that we learn from Jonah this morning? Number one. God is calling us to Nineveh today in our own culture. Our nation is sliding deeper and deeper into moral confusion and into what we could call blatant, out-in-the-open sin, unashamed sin. It's a sin in God's face, wickedness comes up before me kind of situation once again in our world, in our own culture. And every generation is creating a new normal. Baby boomer generation, there was a certain moral sense about what was right and wrong. But that that began to be dismantled. And then when you come up to to the millennials, and to generation X, generation Y, generation Z, with almost every passing generation, every passing decade, There is a redefinition of what is right and wrong in our society. We are very good at moving the moral boundaries because we're in charge of creating the moral boundaries. At least we think we are. And so the value of human life keeps keeps being being damaged and destroyed. Uh, Rampant racism. We're not curing racism. Rampant racism. Rampant prejudice in this society. Abortion, redefining marriage, redefining sexuality, violence, murder in our own city, unbelievable. Mass shootings, and I could go on the list until we all get depressed here this morning. Here's the question I have, though. Is the church running away in some sort of moral outrage Is the church turning away from the culture with some sort of outraged self-righteousness like Jonah did? When God is calling his church to go to Nineveh, God is calling his church to be filled with his compassion and his message of love and human value and repentance because God greatly values Every person who is part of this great nation of ours. God values, the, God values people. He got, God values everyone. And not just our nation, but the nations of the world. And so God is calling us to compassion. He, he cited 120,000 people in Nineveh. Some people think when he talks about not knowing the difference between right and wrong, right hand, left hand, he, some people think that God is referring to the children, before the age where they become morally aware. And that's a possibility. And that would be a very good reason for Jonah wanting to spare the city of Nineveh, right? But most commentators feel that God is probably using this to describe the moral desensitization that had sort of taken place among the whole population of people. Because you know what happens? And it happens to us all. In fact. I'm sure we've all experienced some of this at some point in our life, where when we're walking away from God and in charge of our own moral code and we can write our morality like we want it to fit our desires, okay? It's much more accommodating to write your own morality, right? Uh, when The further we walk that path, the more desensitized we become to right and wrong. Our conscience just sort of gets very dull And I think that was the condition in the people of Nineveh. They were lost. They were morally confused. They forgot their moral left hand from their moral right hand. They were a mess, and they were hopeless in that mess, apart from a God who cared about them in their mess. And that's why he sent Jonah. And God is reminding us that, well, Jonah had become inwardly focused, just like the people of Israel did again and again and again in their history. They cared about their own nation. They were the covenant people of God. They were safe inside their own borders. But God was calling Israel, and Jonah's an example, to care about the nations outside their borders, care about people, uh, and to care about the planet, the animals too, right? It's all here. This is a great theology of ecology here in the book of Jonah. Now, our mission is to go, to go with love to the people around us, seeing past the sins, seeing past what could offend us and disgust us. When we go to work and and the language in the the factory or the language on the construction site or the language and jokes and all the stuff that's going on in the office. Hey, God calls us to love. God calls us to love. That's it, period. And reach out with the good news of Jesus. I think that we Christians need to get rid of the boycott mentality And every time some organization in our culture does something that offends us, we run away and boycott them. I have a better idea. Let's go to Nineveh. Let's let's take the light to where it's the darkest. Let's not pull the light out of where the darkness is. Let's go there. God didn't call Jonah to boycott Nineveh. He sent him to the heart of Nineveh. That's where we need to take this gospel. That's our mission. Now, this was driven home to me a few years ago. And I think I might have shared this once a few years back, but back in 1995 when the Oklahoma City Federal Building was bombed, uh, some of you weren't born at that time, so let me give you the story behind that if you are a millennial, okay? (laughs) Uh, Timothy McVeigh. He was part of a group of radicals who were upset with the United States government for various reasons. And they decided to show their rage at the government by blowing up the federal building in Oklahoma City. And they carefully planned this. They scouted out that building. And along with the knowledge that many people worked in that building, They also knew that on the second floor of that building was a daycare filled with infants and toddlers and children. They knew it. But they went ahead anyway, and in April of 1995, they blew up that building. There should be a picture of it right there. Killed 168 people, including 19 children. And then on the news, in the newspapers the next day, was the picture of a fireman by the name of Chris Fields, and I'm grateful for all the first responders, maybe some first responders we have here, I'm very grateful for you guys, and women, came carrying out of the rubble a dead-year-old, one a one-year-old little girl named Bailey Allman. And this picture was on the front page and on the news all across the country. Maybe some of you remember that. Jill and I were sitting on the couch watching this, and I leaned over to Jill and I said, and I'm quoting myself right here, and you remember this, hun? I leaned over to Jill and I said, whoever did that needs to burn in hell. That's how I felt. And I think most of America would have felt the same way. Whoever did that, hell is where they need to be. Now, was God outraged by that? A million times more than any of us. God was outraged by that injustice and that inhumanity. Now, I remember a few days after that, I was reflecting on this. I think I was driving my car somewhere. And I <laughs> into my mind came this imaginary scenario <clears throat> about the future. And it's a future at the end of history and... We're all in heaven and we're encircling the throne of God and Jesus is at the center and we're singing all those hymns that Revelation chapter 4 and 5 tell we're going to be singing about the one who was slain for all of our sins and shed his blood and the Lamb, the Lamb of God, uh, singing all those great songs to Jesus. And in the middle of it, I look off to one side and lo and behold, who's there? There's Timothy McVeigh standing over there. And then I immediately stop singing, and I'm offended, I'm furious, and I go up to Jesus, and I ask him the question, can anybody get in here? (laughs) How can that guy be here after what he did? He He doesn't belong here. And then Jesus says back to me in my imaginary scenario, Jim, he got here the same way you did. He repented of his sins, and I forgave him. And let me, let me remind you, Jim, about the very songs you're singing standing around my throne here, that when I died on that cross, I took the blame for the sins of the whole world, including the sins of Timothy McVeigh, and as well as your sins. And that drove, okay, now whether Timothy McVeigh ever came to repentance in real life, real world, I don't know. I don't know if he did. I hope he did. All I know is this that this gospel that we've been called to take to Nineveh, to the most wicked and evil of all peoples on the earth, that gospel, that Jesus who died on the cross, he, he took the blame. He hung on that cross as though he was Timothy McVeigh who blew up that building. When the scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what it means. That's how far the grace and mercy of God goes. And that's the only way. That's where mercy and justice come together. They come together at the cross of Jesus. God, Jesus took all of God's wrath and judgment for your sins and mine and Timothy McVeigh's That was all poured out in full upon Jesus when he hung on that cross so that the Timothy McVeighs of the world and the Jim Nichols of the world and you put your name in there would have an opportunity to come with our sins, whatever they might be, and find forgiveness by a repentant spirit, a repentant heart toward God. Romans chapter five, verses six and eight says this. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though at times for a good person someone might possibly die. In other words, if you had a a guy you really liked and you saw their life was about to be snatched away, you might throw yourself on a bomb on their behalf to spare their life okay? But in contrast to that, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still his enemies, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us all. There's the gospel. That's the message for our culture today. So I want, I want to I want to wrap this up today by perhaps giving some direct application for us Uh, because Jesus' last words to us, his church, are are the very same words that God gave to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Only Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 28. He said, go and make disciples of all the nations. That's go go to Nineveh. And then in Acts 1.8, Jesus was more specific about that, about that call. He said, I'm pouring out my Holy Spirit upon you so that you will be my witnesses in Nineveh, in your world, to make disciples, beginning in Jerusalem, beginning in your own hometown community, and then going out from there to the nations of the world. So what Jesus is saying here is this, that at the core of being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, at the very, D, the very DNA of being a, a disciple of Jesus is being a disciple maker. It's sharing Jesus and inviting others to check Jesus out. So what that means is that everything we do at Calvary Church is ultimately about going out and inviting more and more people one by one to come toward Jesus, toward faith in him. So how do we do that together as our lifestyle, as a way of life? You know, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, that's actually a participle in Greek. It strengthens what he's saying. Because what he's really saying there is, while you are going... As you are going about your day-by-day life, let your very lifestyle be that. Let your very DNA be that of making disciples, of sharing this faith, of using every opportunity and praying for every opportunity to engage other people around you about Jesus. Not obnoxiously, not carrying a pulpit to church, I mean, to, to work or something like that. Not beating people over the head with the Bible. No, that's not... And that's obnoxious. But with love and grace and compassion, reaching out to people. So how do, we do, how do we do that? I'm just going to run through a list of things. I would say this, that every day when we go to work or wherever we go every day, that we be praying. If we have a deep intentionality. Who is God going to put in my path today that I can influence, that I can reach out to? How do we do that? I think we go into our society by being good listeners, go to work by being a caring person, a gracious person, someone who's approachable, just like Jesus was approachable. People sort of attracted to Jesus like like a magnet because he was approachable. The most approachable people on this planet should be the people of God, wherever we are. Secondly, What if we prayed for our neighborhoods intentionally, for opportunities to visit with our neighbors, and maybe even to begin praying about which neighbor would God have us invite over for a meal, just to get to know them a little bit? I mean, maybe if you walked up to one of your neighbors and said, you know, I've just been wondering, would you guys like to come over for a meal? They might at first think, well, why? <laughs> okay. Well, just because I'm your neighbor, you know, and, uh, and, now, and, and when you invite them over, again, this is not with some ulterior motive of, well, I want to get you into the house so I can give you the four spiritual laws, you know, right now, or I'm, you know, uh, I'm going to invite you to church. I'm going to put the pressure on. Come on, we got to get away from that kind of stuff. That's, that's manipulation. Jesus wasn't a manipulator. He was a lover of people. He cared about people. And if it takes 20 years of caring for a person to come to Jesus. Hey, then 20 years is what we'll invest. He cares about people. It's authentic, it's genuine. Uh, How about, what if the ultimate fruit-bearing goal of all of our connect groups, I got got our, our connect group list right here. What if the ultimate goal of every one of our connect groups was to invite, people even unchurched people in fact mainly unchurched people to come that's the revolutionary power of the gospel that's what it's that is what it's all about so our connect groups they're for us to come together and fellowship and grow spiritually and discuss the word of God together and pray for each other you know what Jesus said John chapter 13, he said, uh, verses 34 and 35, he says, by this they will know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. I can't think of a better place for people that don't know Jesus to get a first hand glimpse and experience of what it means for Christians to really love each other than to invite them into a, one of our connect groups. I believe the DNA of every connect group, the DNA of Christianity is never, it's just us four and no more. It's always, always, always. Who's the person that I can invite to come and be a part of this circle? And then you might say, well, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> we a small group, you know, 15 people. What about when the living room gets full? Hey, that would be exciting. Because then what we do is we give birth to another group. We multiply. That's, that's the heart of Christianity. DNA of Christianity is multiplying disciples, like a family. And uh, so what would that mean? I would mean two or three, there might be a new, uh, two or th- people in that small group are going to have to be ready to say, you know what, I've got a living room in my house. I can, I can start a small group in my house. And so you have groups giving birth to groups. There's the heart of Christianity. That's the spirit in which God sent Jonah to Nineveh. That's how we reach Nineveh. If we stay cloistered within ourselves, we're never going to reach our Nineveh, ever. It's not going to happen. Uh, You know what? Instead of buying buying land and building a bigger building to bring people in, I view each of your living rooms as part of a church facility. (laughs) I hope that's okay. (laughs) Okay. But your, your home is part of the facility of this church. Uh, let's let the kingdom of grow, God grow and multiply and fill multiple homes. Uh, how about our focus groups? Uh, focus group, I bet, I bet there's people here, you know someone who's grieving a loss of a loved one somewhere. We have a focus group they would fit into perfectly. How about a person that's gone through a divorce? Hey, let's reach out into our, into our Nineveh and get them plugged in here. Cancer? Absolutely. We have a group that meets, helps people through cancer. All in Jesus' name, showing his love and grace. Uh, These small groups that we're asking people to sign up for, they're not just some program that a church is supposed to have. A, have a small group, get people together so they can have a good time. Okay, that's part of it. Fellowship is big. But there's a lot more to it than that. It's one of the greatest avenues we have for reaching our world. So I challenge you today. I challenge you to rethink your thinking as a Christian and, and be plugged in where God wants you to be plugged in and be reaching out into our neighborhood. And I'm preaching the same sermon to myself, guys, okay? But we're not, we, we must go to Nineveh, okay? Then uh, the ultimate fruit-bearing um, purpose of this gathering on Sunday mornings is not only that we Christians have a place to come and worship God together, but the ultimate purpose for this gathering is who could I, who among the people that I'm meeting here and there, who could I invite to come and sit in on this? Maybe have them check out Christianity, see what it's all about. Uh, Invite them to come, and we'll do the best we can to, to provide a warm welcome to every person that comes in here. We want people in here. Perhaps there are some here today that are just checking this whole Christian thing out. We don't want to keep it to ourselves. It's Jesus gave it for All people. And then I would say another way to think about this uh, is to grab one of these Awana cards. Awana starts this coming Wednesday evening. You know, I don't know of a child in Lamont or Lockport or Homer Glen or uh, Darien or uh, wherever. in any villages. I don't know of a child that would not love, love, love to be a part of this. And parents that you may be living next door to who have children that you could just, hey, I wanted you to be aware of this. This is something that's going on for kids. It's a great thing. And so it's it's this holistic vision we have as people who belong to Calvary Church. We have all these tentacles in different ways. They're not just for our benefit. They're ultimately for the benefit of reaching out to our community and our world that Jesus died for. And then finally, our, I'm grateful to have our junior and senior high students with us in our in our Sunday morning service and junior senior high students, I take great notice of you every week and what a wonderful opportunity you have to reach out and invite friends to come with you. you can c- come on Sunday morning or come Sunday evening to the youth gathering. this could be the, this could change their life it could change their life by your inviting them to come and, and just have a good time, and be well-received. But they're also going to hear this message about Jesus. This is what it's all about. So we are a church of appointed missionaries. Everyone who's in this building this morning who knows Jesus is a missionary called to move and work among the people where God has placed you week by week. And so I guess I'm just sort of recommissioning each one of you, including myself this morning, to live that lifestyle of a missionary, a true missionary that loves the people that God has put in our circle of influence so that we have every opportunity and take every opportunity to share this indescribably beautiful, wonderful message. It's a treasure. The unsearchable riches of Christ placed in our hands and we, don't want, to, we want, don't want to hoard those riches. We want to share those riches with our world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you do love this world. And you loved it actively by sending your son. He died. Had it not been for his death, we would not be in this room today. We are recipients of your grace so that we can be sharers of your grace, Lord. And Father, I thank you for this church family that is reaching out, Lord, and is making a difference and is making an influence. And Lord, this is just a reminder this morning that brings us back to the heart of our our purpose, our mission as a church, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that at the core of it all, what defines us as a disciple is that we are disciple makers. We're sharing this with others. And Lord, may we be a church that multiplies and grows as people one by one come and find their identity in Jesus Christ and find their hope and their future in Jesus Christ. Lord, give us multiple opportunities this week as we go into our Nineveh. Lord, help us, Lord, to share this gospel. Open those doors and we give you praise, we give you thanks for all of these things. We pray them in Jesus' great name, amen.